You are listening to Entitled to Truth Podcast. I am your host, Samson Burrell. And I'm your co-host, A.T. And today we have with us a very special guest. And when I say a very special guest, this is a guest we needed on the show. Dr. Frida Hammonds. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I want to start with your bio. And I, I hope my audience is listening to this today. Please listen to this bio. Dr. Freddie Hammond is currently a member of the DeKalb County Branch NAACP. She serves as the Executive Committee Board and Chair of the ACT-CO program, which provides a form for high school students to complete to compete for college scholarships. We got we to talk about that. Dr. Hammonds also serves her community as a member of the Regional Three Advisory Council of Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. We need Dr. Hammonds on this show today. Yes, we Mental do. health is important in our community. And she will give you a um, session as soon as we're done. Thank you, Dr. Hammond. Okay, I'm available. Appreciate it. I'm available. (laughs) In this role, she is able to advocate for mental health services for citizens in Region 3 area, as well as disseminate viable information to members of the community. Dr. Hammond is also a current board member, past chair, and past vice chair of Georgia Court-appointed special advocates. C-A-S-A. She is a member of Voices of Faith Church, I've been there before, in Stone Mountain with Bishop Gary Hawkins, Sr., is the overseer. Dr. Hammond serves as gatekeeper as she serves as a mentor with Daughters of Faith Mentoring Ministry. Dr. Hammond is a certified alcohol and drug counselor, too, with the Department of Community Supervision. I want to stop there. I want to stop there. I want to go back and ask you a question. Yes. How important is mental health in the African-American community? Mental health in the African-American community is vital to our survival. Um, Without it, we're extinct. Um, It is so important in our community because for years, we have ran away from it. For years, we have had this misconception that if we talk about mental health, it means that we're telling the world that we're crazy, crazy. and we're not crazy. Um, we are just um, experiencing something that's very uncomfortable. Right. And so we're experiencing something that has compromised us in a way that it impacts how we act or how we react to things that's going on in our lives. And so um, mental health for us will mean the difference between surviving and thriving um, and having a very good life. So it, it's very important. And for me, mental health is so important to me. It, um I probably give away as much free mental health as I get paid for mm-hmm. uh, doing mental health. Right, right. So, let me tell you why important. I had to ask you that question. 
and forgive me for a moment. I just believe our people for so long yes. has ignored the mental health in our community yeah. and the importance of it. Yeah. And and you said something that was so true. It is vital to our survival. Mm-hmm. It is vital to our survival in this world today. Yeah. Well, no one told us that it would be okay to talk about our mental health. You know, if you get sick, um, you know, Big Mama would tell you to baby go in there and, and get you some aspirin or, or go in there and get yeah, go in there and get some big sad or go in there and get some tea, chamomile or whatever. Big Mama was always ready to give you something to take care of whatever was ailing you. Um, but if you told Big Mama, you know, I'm feeling sad, I don't know, I'm just feeling I'm I'm just not feeling my myself. What what were we told? You know, ain't nothing wrong with you. Ain't nothing wrong with go you, girl. For them people go, think yeah, crazy. go in there and, you know, just, baby, just pray about it. Just take it to God. And and those are all good remedies because we need to pray. Yes. And we need to have a connection. Vertical, horizontal, we need a connection. Um, but there are some times where we need to sit, talk, and we need to process mm-hmm. You know, we need to sit, we need to name it. And not yeah. be judged. We need to be able to just put it out there on a the table and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is, this is what I'm going through. This is, you know, this this is what happened. This is what I'm feeling about what happened. And this is how I'm planning on reacting. Right. You know, if we can sit down and say, you know, this thing happened to me. You know, this person at work did this egregious thing to me. They hurt me and they did this. And, and, and what I'm feeling about that is I'm, I'm feeling disrespected. I'm feeling hurt. I'm, I'm feeling sad about it. And, you know, tomorrow at work, I think I'm going to do this, this and the other. If we can sit down and just process those things thoroughly, we wouldn't have so much self-hate right. we wouldn't have so many problems among ourselves and among our amongst our group if we could do that if we were allowed to, openly, to do that yeah yes to openly communicate that but we were not we we you know i i was not perhaps in other families right they were able to you know, talk about things. My mother would say, my mother used to tell us when we were coming up, you need to be seen and not heard. So right. whatever it is so you were you going through, you, right. you, better you better keep that thing. It. You better take it to the Lord, you know, on Sunday morning. But So do you think that has hurt us as a community? I think it has hurt many of us. Yeah, I, I think it has. Why are you having this reaction, this feeling? Tell the doctor. One thing that I believe that I want this podcast to be is a voice. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a place of information where when some, when, when my audience are, when they are listening to this podcast, they can say, I learned something. something that was a point of, you know, yeah. something touched mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my major is clinical. Psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to me, the most fascinating thing in the world is a person's mind, mm-hmm. how they think, how they respond. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes I'm angry with myself because I want to help people, but I don't. Mm -hmm. And when I say I don't, I'm going to be honest and say that I have gotten to the point where I don't trust many people. Mm -hmm. And when you don't trust many people, you tend not to put yourself out there to help, to help people. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that when this podcast started, that there were, that there were going to be times in which I would say to myself, Samson, that's, that's what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And something in me would move. I have been wanting to talk about, I said in the very, I'm going to share something with you. Mm -hmm. My mother passed away a couple of years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. And there are, there are very few people who know this. Uh, my sister knows it and one other lady, but there were times in which I wanted to commit suicide. Because mm -hmm. something in me was gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know what it's like to get up in the mornings mm -hmm. and be sad mm -hmm. and go to work and be sad mm -hmm. and come home and be sad. Be sad. Yes. And you can't talk to nobody. Yes. And the people who you think you can talk to, in your mind, you're thinking, they don't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned to my sister this one day, and it scared me. Mm -hmm. um, I was at home. It was a Saturday night. I had been in bed all day. I actually, within a, from the time my mother passed for about six months, I, I probably lost about 80 pounds. Mm -hmm. I wasn't eating or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to give up. It was like th there was nothing worth living for. Mm -hmm. Grief is powerful. And, like it, it is. And I remember one Saturday I was at home just laying in the bed and my mother came to me. Mm -hmm. And it scared me. I almost, it scared me. Mm -hmm. And she said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I think that started a process for me to say, you have an issue that you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. And in order to deal with it, you have to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes, and I'm speaking from a male point of view, mm -hmm. there are things that we don't talk about that eats away at us that eventually will cause us our very own death. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to open my mouth because my neighbor, uh, Miss Humphrey, told me one day, she said, why do you come talk to me? Mm -hmm. So you could have came. I said, I just didn't know how. See, you you do know how. You just did not want to. Sometimes it's yeah. pride and ego, and you don't want to feel weak, right. for lack of a better word. But mm -hmm. if me talking, listening to my um, current husband and brothers, male cousins, they tend to shy away from opening up or telling the truth. Like, for instance, me and my husband, we had a disagreement about something, right? So I can get on the phone and I got right, big mouth. I'm calling my girls. I'm calling mm -hmm. my sisters. I'm calling somebody. They're going to hear my mm -hmm. side, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it's three sides. So I said, he said, um, you you know, you didn't have to um say so-and-so and so-and-so. You didn't need to talk to them. Yes, I did. You mm -hmm. might want to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and call your twin brother, your older brother, your best friend of 30 years. Yeah. Those are my sounding boards. 
I won't mm-hmm. go to a psychologist or psychiatrist, not that I'm against it, mm-hmm. but that's my sounding board. But in our mm-hmm. community, going to a psychologist means that we're crazy. This, yeah, let me, but let me finish this part. So what I gathered at that very moment from him was, even though he, we were both going through something, mm-hmm. and just like I took the opportunity to talk to somebody or mm-hmm. say something, mm-hmm. he, he didn't, and he didn't feel like he could. Mm-hmm. And because he said out his own mouth, well, you know, men keep their business to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, at what detriment? Mm-hmm. You want to know why? At what detriment? Because my first husband said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Black men don't go to. I begged my first husband to get go to a psychologist, mm-hmm. and he of all people needed it the most. Mm-hmm. He didn't go. Mm-hmm. So now we have this this long journey of men trying to be husbands, fathers, and whoever else, mm-hmm. and with no mental help, with no escape. Right. I I think we're just we're inculcated mm-hmm. to to behave that way. Um, men, I, I don't, I mean, I, I try not to ascribe to that notion that men are, um, of the opinion that they're too strong to ask for help. I think a lot of times we are too fearful to ask for help. First of all, we don't want to be judged. Neither one of us, right. men or women. Um, we don't want to be judged. Sometimes men will not ask for help because there is judgment yeah. there. You know, why can't you handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, because you know, yeah, right? you know, when you're when you're growing up, you know, big mama told you, you know, big men, you know, men don't cry. Men don't do this. Men don't. We have a laundry list of things that men, men are not supposed do. to do. Yes. So, you know, or are you are you putting that in the peg of the things, you know, in the whole of things that men don't do? And, and so if you do that, then this is probably one of those things that men don't do. And women, on the other end, we are told, well, you know, it's okay for a woman to cry. You know, we're of the weaker right. sex, so we, it's okay for us to cry. But then you have some women who think, well, I'm not going to cry because all my life I've had to be tough and I've, I've had to not cry and I've had to just show up, up and, yeah, <laughs> nut up and just show up and mm-hmm. do what I had to do. So I'm of that genre where I'm right. not supposed to do that. So we're all just confused about what, what I, what, what's should. the role right. here that I'm supposed to do. But I think, you know, we, we all know need to do what we need to do to be healthy and whole. If I need to sit here and cry and talk to my girls or my friends or whatever about something that I am going through, if that's going to help me to heal, to start my healing process, then this is what I need to do. And this is what we need to tell each other. We, this is what we need. We need to provide a safe space where people can talk so that they can start their healing journey. I can't start my healing journey. I can't help you with your healing journey if you're afraid to open up to tell me that something is wrong with you. I know that we all come to the table with all of these stories about what you're supposed to do, but you're supposed to live a healthy, normal life free of pain, suffering, and, and all those unpleasant emotions. And so... The goal here is for you to figure out how do you do that? How, how does one do that? Do you do it by talking it out? Do you do it by journaling it out? Do you do it by, you know, writing? How do you do that? Meditating, praying, dancing, your Exactly. What is your process? You have to have it because what will not work for you is to hold that in and internalize it so that it metastasizes and eat away at you and take away 
all those parts of you that make you the whole person that you could be. That will not work. So figure out what will work. Talking sometimes works. Sometimes people don't like to talk. I know some people who love to write and journal and it helps in their healing process because they're getting it out. So what works for you? You have to figure that part out. Holding it in will never work for us. No one. Holding it in is just a stick of dynamite. It it is because it comes out inappropriately. It's a stick of dynamite. When do we get to the process of telling people it's okay to release? To telling people what granddaddy said about being strong and not crying is not necessarily true for us today because there is so much I, I have always said this I have always said that there are baggages upon baggages of generational baggages in our community that we do not talk about because mm-hmm. we're under the thing that only white people do this right right Well, you know, generationally, granddaddy probably had to say that because it probably saved his life. Exactly. I mean, we got to think about the time in which granddaddy said that. Um, it probably would not have, it probably would not have worked for him because, you know, for, um, him to cry for a black man of his age during that time to cry probably would have cost him his life. So saying that during that time would have worked for him. That does not work for us. That does not work for my grandson. That does not work for your son, your son today. We need to be able to tell our children, if you're hurting, I want you to tell Tell me you're hurting. I want you to articulate as best you can what it is that you're going through so that I can help you. I need for you to be able to explain to me, name the feeling. I, I need for you to be able to tell me what that process. What what is that thing that you're going through? Help me to understand so that I can understand how I can help you. But, you know, it depends on the time. Like I said, we were inculcated at one time to think that we couldn't um, express, we couldn't say, we couldn't do certain things. That's not the way we are today. We can tell our kids, let me know how you're feeling and check in with our children. We can check in with each other. You know, I think sisters are good with checking in with each other to see how we're doing on the week, maybe a daily basis. We're good at doing that. And I think guys are doing that too. You all do it in a different type of way. You know, guys, y'all talk at each other. Women, we talk with With each each other. other. You know, we want to know what's going on with each other. We hug, we're huggers, we're nurturers, we're criers. We hug, you know, we we can snot exchange together. Men don't do that. You know, men, you know, men are like, yeah, bro, you okay? You good? You good? Y'all have a different type of, um, communication. Right. Y'all have a very different way. Way of communicating with each other and if you all know each other very well then you can probably look at your brother and say you know brother man don't look he, he don't mm-hmm. look good even though he's saying that he's right. all right he's not so i'm gonna you know check on him later on tonight to see what's really going on with him and at some point you all are gonna open up and talk to each other but women first conversation girl you all right no girl i'm you know i'm going through this that and the other and we can get that out but it's, it's how we have to do it, you know, because at the end of the day, if you don't empty out your cup tomorrow morning when you won't wake up, your cup is still full. So now you're putting some more stuff on top of it. And before long, 
you know, your cup is going to explode and it's going to explode and overflow and it's going inappropriately yes. and at the wrong time. And, you know, you're going to take this out on someone who doesn't have anything to do yeah. with what you're going through. I told my nephew that the other day. He called me. He's in Sweden. And he wants to talk. He obviously he needs to talk about mental health. And I said to him, nephew, you're holding on to all of this anger and bitterness. And the minute somebody steps on your toe, you explode. So what you have to do is do things differently. When you're angry, change change your environment, your situation. Walk mm-hmm. away. Say a prayer. Mm-hmm. And you know why I was able to tell him that? Because that used to be me. Yeah. That used yeah. to be me. I was like, I did this 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, take a minute. You mm-hmm. know, I, 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 um, I teach an anger management class and I always tell my participants, um, you know, when you get angry, I want you to think about the situation, the event that caused that. Exactly. And And then I want you to think about what is the feeling? What's the the feeling that's coming out of that event? Why do you think you're getting so angry about that event? It is something about that thing that happened that's got you so riled up. What is it? And if you can pinpoint that thing, then you can better understand why is it that when the person who cuts you off in traffic Look makes you so angry. Why is it that the, it's just traffic? It's I'm just guilty. someone weaving in and out of traffic. Why is that thing making you so angry? It's not the weaving in and out of traffic that's got you so angry. It is the disrespect that you feel that's got you that angry. Why is it that you feel so upset when someone disrespects you? It goes back to another time. When you felt so disrespected, it's not resolved, right? It's not resolved. And so you have certain emotions that come up with you when someone disrespects you. And so let's deal with that. What is this thing about disrespect that's got you so wrapped up every time you feel like you're being Sam, disrespected? Answer that question. She's asking you a question. <laughs> well, so Sam, well, Sam, Sam I'm is a, going I'm through a, something when someone disrespects him. Okay. Well, well, so I'm gonna say this. Oh, when he feels disrespected, because okay. it might be, you know. Okay. As a black man in the, in this country. I believe that we have to put on sometimes a facade. Yeah. And you don't want people to see what's behind it. Mm -hmm. For me, respect is everything that involves everything that I do. Mm -hmm. How I work, how I carry myself, my conversation, who I conversate with. Because to me, it tells me you put yourself in a certain category, mm-hmm. and the people you want in that category is going to reciprocate what you put out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you mention about when people cut you off in traffic, how you just, that's me. <laughs> because I'll run, I will literally run up on your pastor's side and cuss you out, and I've done that, and then I've said to myself, why don't you just do that? Yeah. But that person has no idea what's exa- going on with I'm you. Why don't you just you, do that? I'm glad you mentioned that because the point I always try to um, impress upon my my clients is this. On your values list, respect is probably number one. But on that other person's values list, respect is number five. 
Respect is probably not on their values list. So when it comes to respect, they don't display it. They don't give it to you because it's not something that they hold valuable. I can't give you something that I don't have. I don't, I can't give you something that I don't hold to be valuable to me. Our value system is different. I don't care about respect. So when I disrespect you, I'm giving you my value system. I'm operating with you the way I view the world. I'm operating with you based on my view of the world, not yours. So when we clash, it's not because I disrespect all your values. We clash because our value systems are different. We don't have a common. We don't. Respect. We don't. And so based on that, when you disrespect mine or I disrespect yours, I'm angry. And I'm so angry. I just might do something stupid. Something stupid that. Right. And then we think, why did I just do that? Sometimes you don't have, depending on where you are, you won't even have that, that amount of time to think about it because right. you never know what, what you go, somebody else is going through, number one. And number two, you roll up on the wrong person and they're going to just pull out their weapon and shoot you. So that's one of the reasons why I learned how to dial back my anger yeah, and, and you know, and obviously growth and stuff like that because you can't do stuff. Yeah, because then you're sitting in an anger management class going, I can't believe I ran into this person's <laughs> car right. and I'm sitting in this class and that <laughs> person is not life. even sitting yeah. in an anger management class. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you, I almost got arrested one time and I'm not proud of it, but this was after my husband died. It was my first everything without him, mm-hmm. right? And I went to the bank Grief that I is go powerful. to. I went to the bank that I go to all the time. And the person in front of me, I saw the treatment that she he got. With, he wonderful. I always get good treatment at this bank because I go every two weeks when I get my paycheck, right? Everybody's always nice. So I didn't think anything would be different this particular day. So I went... And like I said, I never saw that particular teller, but she was nice and professional to the man in front of me, laugh, joking, haha. So I got up there, hey, how you doing? I, I plastered a smile on my face because I was accustomed to doing that. And she, when I say this lady was so disrespectful to me on all levels, not where she was, because I saw that she had respect for the man in front of me. She was disrespectful on all freaking levels. Long story short, she kept knocking, snatching this piece of paper that I needed from her. She kept snatching it out my hand. I was looking at it, trying to say, well, this is not exactly what I need. I need the blueprint. You gave me the black print, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't worry about it. If you can't do it, I'll go to this other location. She snatches the paper, snatch number three. She snatches the paper. I'm like, oh, God. And I just lost it. When I say lost it, it's a good thing I'm short, right? Because I reached up on that counter and I just grabbed up behind the pelts and I was trying my whole hardest to pull her over this counter. And I completely blacked out. It wasn't until the security guard came. Now this man knows me and he knows my daughter. Every time she comes, we come in, he gave me a coupon for $25 off Publix. And you know how important that is. 
he gives her a, a lollipop. And he grabbed me under my arms and he dragged me out of that bank, which is Publix, and dropped me off. He was like, you can't do that. This is a federal. And when I got outside, it was a police car sitting right there. <laughs> and I just was like, oh my God, you talking about embarrassed? Nothing happened. But he was like, look what could have happened to you. I thought the police car was there for me. And then when I looked back, he was, I said, he dropped me off outside. And I was like, my baby. I had to run back and she over there writing checks at the ATM. And this lady is still hanging over the counter. And I swear, I just looked at her and I chuckled. And I said, to, I said, well, I chuckled after what I said was, and I'm not proud. It was not one of my proud moments. And I said, um, oh, no wonder why I couldn't get her fat ass over there over the counter because I, I was all my might I was trying and I couldn't pull her down but when I saw her dangling from that <laughs> countertop in Clayco I was like oh she was a big girl so that's why I couldn't get her over there that's what I said but let me ask you <laughs> a question you never know what somebody's going through the more and I was going to say that I don't think us as a people have been taught how to better deal with anger. No. Um, I do believe that we have been generationally cursed or I should say put in a bad position when it comes to anger. And in many ways, anger has been used as a tool to separate us. Mm -hmm. Well, generationally, we've not been able to express anger. I mean, think about our um, forefathers when they got angry. What, what, what was their recourse for handling anger? And so um, they were not able to say, hey, you know, master, I'm, I'm angry. I'm not going to chop that. I'm not going to cut that cotton. I'm not going to pull that. I'm not doing that. You just should have did it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, um, you, you just, you did what you had to do. To I mean, it may have been expressed a little differently with your family members. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps you behaved badly when you were able to do that on your own, but you, you were not able to express that. And so generationally, we hand that you off. We had to suppress it. We, we suppress it and we hand it off. Um, generationally to the next generation and to right. the next generation. Mm -hmm. And so when we don't know how to hand that off, I don't, if I don't know how to teach my son how to handle unpleasant emotions, and let me tell you this other thing about anger and, and how we need to think about anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. Right. So there's always a primary emotion. There's something primary driving mm -hmm. anger, which is the secondary emotion. Once we get back to what that primary emotion is, we can understand anger because anger is an emotion just like love, sadness, all those other primary things that are normal. So anger is normal when we behave with it appropriately. I can have enough anger inside of me to want to protest and do something good for my community because anger is driving my behavior. But I can also use anger in an inappropriate way 
by pulling this woman over the counter because <laughs> she has just snatched a piece of paper out of my hand. Three times. So anger, it depends now what we do with anger. But anger is a secondary. So what's your primary? Like I said earlier, is it disrespect? Is it grief? Is it sadness? Is it something else that's driving this anger? Because if it is, let me check that. Let me explore that. Let me figure out what that is. Because when I know what that is, it's peeling the onion back. Mm -hmm. If I can find out what that is, I might behave appropriately. Because if not, anger can become aggression. It can become a bad behavior Mm -hmm. that's followed by all kinds of other things that, um, that may get us into trouble that we don't want to you know, have to deal with later on, you know, explosive anger and all of those things. We, we really just need to find out why, but you know, we can do better. We can teach the next generation, you know, so we can teach them and we can show them. I started with my baby because I I was one of those kids going around. (laughs) We're not talking to you. It's only adults out here, but, but, but nope. I was one of those kids. Now when I had my child, nope, go ahead. Tell me what's wrong. I even had somebody tell me who I found out she wasn't really my friend. She said to me, why do you talk to her so much? What do you mean? Why do I talk to her so much? She's a freaking person. Number one, and she has feelings. And if she can articulate them, which she was doing from one and a half, then she has a right to articulate them from here on out. And if you don't want to listen, fine. That's my baby. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen. And to this day, that's what's kept me and my daughter. Yeah, we have to. We have to do a better job at listening. Got to. It starts at home. Remember, I said this whole podcast, I'm going to go back to the home. It's always going to start at home. Well, and so I I am a true advocate of communication. Yes. I do believe, I do believe that in our community, there are a lot of people that do not know how to communicate what they feel, what to say, and they keep that in. I was at work one time talking to a guy, and I knew it pissed him off because he doesn't like to talk. And I kept asking the question after the question after the question. He was like, man, we'll just do it your way. I said, no. We need to communicate on how we're going to do this together so we have an understanding. And he cannot, he cannot comprehend that talking something out would get us to a better solution. And, I, and, and, and once he realized that, I just said, you know what, forget it. Mm-hmm. I think for me as a person, when I when I see that you cannot understand what I'm trying to do or relate to you, I just get like, okay, whatever, just just give up. Mm-hmm. Because I think my, my in this day, your age, tolerance is very low. It, well, and, and, but it, it did not used to always be like that, and I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> I think as I've gotten older, I'm less tolerant of stuff that I would have taken. 20 and 30 years ago. But at the same time, there is something in me that says, you have that key to help that person do what they need to do. You just got to take that time and get it done. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it's always taking the time to get it done. And I just say, okay, well, we have, to, we have to we have to learn to be tolerant, though, because, you know, in my other role as a mental health professional, um, I do service a lot of clients who are reentry. They're coming in. They're coming back into our community from um, formerly being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have to take 
we have to be tolerant and we have to be patient because these individuals are coming back into our community and they need things. Mm-hmm. They, they need to know how to navigate in the community so as not to go back right. into prison, prison again. So um, we have to be tolerant. We have to be tolerant with helping them with employment. We have to be tolerant with them when they get out and they might relapse and, you know, mm-hmm. get drunk or do some marijuana whatever again and we have to be tolerant and, and help them navigate recovery we have to be tolerant and sometimes I, I see where we're not so very tolerant you know I get guys into the program who are just now coming back into society and they get a job and you know they might fail a drug screen and and they want to fire them mm-hmm. it, it's, it's like we don't have like we want to just keep throwing them away Yes, yes. And and people are not to be thrown away and we just can't keep recycling people. It's like we don't want to work with them. Let's let's work with people. Let's be tolerant. Let's get tolerant. You know, you hit you hit something right there with that word tolerant. I just think for a lot of us, we have to work on being tolerant. And I don't know where we lost it, but we. Well, I, we, we, I, I, I know where I lost it. I don't know if it came with age, where you got older, and it did. for me, it came with age. For for instance, I don't tolerate adults very well. Not talking about the kind of adults that you have to deal with. I'm talking about the kind of adults that I have to deal with on a regular basis. Right. I can sit and play with a five year old, a two year old, a one year old, and they can make the same mistakes over and over again. I'm tolerant and I'll teach. But adults, let's say I can only go back to like my siblings. Right. I'm the youngest girl of eight children. And I'm just going to say a couple of my siblings you know, they're most of them, 99% of them are older than me. Mm-hmm. And at least four to five of them, it's like they stop growing to me mentally. Mm-hmm. I don't have tolerance. I don't. Lord, mm-hmm. forgive me. I've been accused of a lot of things, but I tell you, I don't. Because you know why? We were raised in the same household. Yeah. And if I can do this, you can too. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, my oldest sibling taught me some really valuable stuff that she mm-hmm. herself won't pick up, mm-hmm. pick back up. Mm-hmm. I don't have tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I, I think we're missing that in the African American community. I, I, I don't know. And, and I think that's a, a podcast that we have to do. Like, oh, yeah. how can we get tolerant with each other so that we can better our community? You know, what would that all entail? Can you make up a yeah. guideline for us and just give it to us so <laughs> we'll start there? And I'm so serious because I really need to start well, at well, home. Well, you know, <laughs> if we were to. If we were to enter prison at 17, so it's 35 now, yeah, mm-hmm. so that is 17 years, 18, oh. eight, 18 years, mm-hmm. 18 years. So you, you go in at 17, come out more than half his life, yes. And so now he's trying to get with his family. And so, what we at the session we were doing yesterday, he was like, you know, they they pick me up, and the first thing these. 
EMFs want to do is, is they want to go, yes, that's exactly that's what he celebration. told me. Yeah. And he was like, don't they understand that I'm, I'm on probation and I can't get, I said, what you're going to have to do is try to get you a new environment. Mm-hmm. I said, you're going to have to go home right now, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to try to find you a new environment because that's going to end you right back where you were. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so now, you know, we're going to meet next week to try to find him housing. But that's a shame. You can't go. You, you, you can't, can't go home. home. Yeah. I said, they shouldn't even. I told. I, 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 I said, I said, every, I said everybody can't. Everybody they don't can't be high. Them. Everybody in your family can't be gay. He said, ma'am. But. He said, date, when I came home, they had a dinner for me. And everybody was getting high. I would say, and, and but you, what happened to the strike and the punch and the depending and, on the environment. That's why I remember. But, but your 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 family met Samson. Yeah, I you the my, my cousin ain't gonna come out after doing. I only saw you when you and I were kicking it in high school, and this the first thing I'm gonna do with you when you come home. But listen to this, right? No. I'm gonna take you to a Broadway play or something. I'm, you know, I'm gonna take you to dinner and but also technology. But I'm gonna take you to. I'm gonna take you. I'm gonna bring you to the house where we got. Yeah. My probation officer might stop by tonight. Yeah, we all going down. Stupid. And, and so I'm gonna say this, and 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 I am. I get it. It's the environment. I get it. But. Years ago, I did a internship at a prison in Illinois, where they were just coming to the prison and watch whatever. And I remember saying then, everyone's circumstance is different. Yes. And what is normal for, like, when you're out to my dinner. For someone else, that's un- normal. Uh-uh. Normal for me is to get out and start about drinking and doing this and doing, as if it never stopped. And that's why I said in our community, and, I, and I'm a strong believer in this, we've been so miseducated and mistrusted for so long, we don't know where to begin the truth. And we don't know. We don't. I really, there's a there's a saying when you know better, you do better. Right. There are people where you can show better, and it still doesn't register that you them to do go. better. But Samson, when you're coming out, everybody goes through the same, same process coming out. That last month or so before you come out, they sit with you and tell you, okay, these are the things that you're gonna need to do. You're gonna you got a social security, you got a birth certificate. You got some jobs lined up. You got housing lined up. All right. These are the things you can do, can't do. They go through all of that because there's a checklist, Mm -hmm. right? So when they tell you, all right, so you're supposed to abstain from any mind, mood, altering substances because you know your probation officer is going to come by every now and again. They're going to drug screen you. They keep these kits in the trunk of the car, Mm -hmm. right? So if they don't do it at your house, they're going to call you into the office to do it. So when they saying all of this, you sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah, right. when I get out, oh, no, you're not saying that. So, so this is just like this. this it is. So we But it's the family members at this point because but just so like then you go, hearing it and you ain't telling your. You no, they know. Me. Trust me, they know. Yeah. Oh wait, wait, wait. Oh, when we get, what's, what do you want to know about transition? What? I might know the answer. What? How is it? Okay, so okay, so when I have always said or thought what can the community do to help with people transitioning from because there are when I lived here in DeKalb County here's, here's a perfect example I lived in the Carrollwood Estates mm-hmm. which is off of South Indian Creek mm-hmm. we had a young man that went into prison for two years and came back out 
Mm-hmm. When I found out he was out, I was the president of my HOA, Bruce, I didn't mean that, said, when you see him, speak to him. Ask him if he needs anything. If y'all know someone... First of all, I'm shocked your HOA let him come in the community. Which means well, he, his, his, his mother lives in the community. I know. But the HOA didn't have a meeting because some of these HOAs, when they find out that a person is re-entering, the HOA gets together and the board come together and they have a meeting and so vote him in. Oh my God. No, they just. But then when you reject him, then that's again putting yeah. him like, damn, I can't go back to my home. So, yeah. so what happened was we, I was, I, I would ask the neighbors if y'all know somebody that was hiring or knew of a job. And one day I saw him walking down the street. So I went up to him and said, Hey, how you doing? I said, are you okay? Do anything? And he said, why the fuck do you get on Carol Because I was one of the people that had him arrested because he was bringing it to houses. Mm-hmm. Oh. But at the same, but, but listen, well, that's but at the same that's time, yeah. at the same time, I wanted to be like, we need to help these young men that come back out because they're coming back into our community. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to help you transition to not go back to you did it before? Okay, first and, thing you need to do is um, call a meeting and say <laughs> before you be, be, but no, right? Well, there's some preemptive things that you need to do before because when the person was breaking into the house, um, you all probably needed to do something on that end, on the front end, to right. address the house breaking that. in. We did, we did. Oh, okay, we did. well, he probably wasn't in that meeting, but when he, but when you met him in the community and say, "Hey, is there anything I can do?" That was like, but you were the one who had me arrested. You, you I mean, you can't go from, "Hey, bro, I was the one who had you arrested. Is there anything I can do for you right now?" <laughs> I, was, I was thinking different. I was thinking different. But okay, yeah, now, yeah. now I see that from a different point of view. You can't be right. the one. I see what you're saying. I see you're saying. I see you're saying. You can't be you the can. one who give me clink clink and then be the one. Okay. Say, hey, is there and you know what? I never looked at it like that. I'm sometimes. glad you said that. But you can't not in that. Not you can't in that walk instance. up on. You can't <laughs> walk up on me on the page like that. You got to have you know like a little get together or something. And maybe you. I never looked at it like that. Be you maybe you in charge of the meeting or something and you're there, but you walking up on me in the community like that, bro. You you probably get you almost got got. <laughs> I never looked. You know I'm glad you said that because that's the first time I've ever looked at it like that. I looked at me yeah. trying. You can't walk up on the yeah, body and get that's like baby. taking his car and asking him if he need a ride. Like, no. yeah, you can't. You just when, when I just tell you this was a that what you just said was a learnable moment for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. it was because I never looked at it like that. Mm-hmm. Even when they come to the probation office and the officer has to arrest them when they come out, officer meets with them and they have a discussion. Look, bro, this, this had to go down like this because. You, you did X, Y, Z. They have a whole conversation. The officer ain't walking up on that man and say, look here, bro, anything I can do to help you? And we ain't going to address what, what happened. What you, you just did. Place. <laughs> I mean, exactly. was, you can't just, you know, <laughs> pick up where you left. You me. just, oh my, nah, so that, I never, I never nah. thought like that. No, I never did. That's like being kind of fake in a way. Like, what? You had me arrested. That's yeah, like that's you like, stealing my money and helping me look for it. I'm sorry. No, that's like throwing your girl Ooh, out the car. You just really, <laughs> when I tell you, you just open my ass or something, I never looked at it like that. No. But, but to answer the question about what the community can do, they, the community can do a lot because, you know, guys have 72 hours. Well, some. Most of the times they have 24 hours. When you get out, you have to report to your probation office. Check in. Right. The address that you gave them at the prison better match where you going or that's a violation. Right. 
So you got to have some place to stay. What happens when you give them an address? Right. You've been at grandmama's house for about three weeks now. She tired of you. Mm -hmm. So now you need somewhere to go. So housing is number one. Right. Housing is the number one issue because you can only stay with family members for so long because they love you. They hadn't seen you. It's been 17 years. I miss miss you. Oh, my God. It's been so long, but it's been three weeks, brother. You got the So so you're saying that the the community can do so much. Well, yes, because housing is the number one issue because when they come out, they need good, affordable housing. Housing at grandmama's, auntie, sister, all that is free, but that warrant runs out, right? So after the free housing runs out, then the next viable option is affordable. We have some lists, like some, you know, homeowners will call us and say, hey, you know, I got this room, you know, um, it's about 400 a month, $100 a week or whatever. Um, and then, of course, they want us to vet the person. You know, I don't want anyone who was a murderer. I don't want a sex offender. I don't want right. this one. And by the time you start knocking out all these people, he can't come. You, you know, <laughs> we, we might can find one person who might fit that that bill. Right. Um, but housing is the number one issue that we have right now is housing the population that's coming out of jail and prison. Um, because family members are tired of it. Probation officers, when you come, when you, when a person is on parole or probation, they sign a waiver that says that the officer can visit them at any time and they will come at any time. And so they will search whatever your living area is. So if you tell me this is my bedroom, I get to use this kitchen, I get to use that bathroom, I get to use this area right here then all of that is searchable area. So some people don't want that. You know, if you're living with oh, me, I don't yeah. want your officer yeah, I don't looking want you in, up in my room. I don't want your officer looking in I don't think that they have that kind of yes. discretion like that. Yes, they do. If it's part of your living area, yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, so you have to be careful about where you're living and you, that this homeowner has to give yeah. the approval for them to do all of that. And so that becomes an issue. And then you have the grandmother who is elderly and, you know, your officer is coming at four o'clock in the morning. That's a problem for her. She, right. you know, because th- who wants to, a visitor at four o'clock in the morning unannounced, right. you know? And well, so do you think I got a quick question. Do you think that. Um, especially DeKalb County, can they do more and better? Do they have any properties where they can build standing mm-hmm. buildings? anything for these um, people who come out? Well, I don't know that they have any property, but I know there's a lot of unused property. property. Vacant um, houses. And vacant housing, nature. vacant buildings. And well, how can I, we get them to relinquish some of that stuff? I don't know if that's a commissioner um, opportunity or I don't know who the... That would be a state opportunity. State. That would be talking about state inmates right coming from there has prison. to be some type of um maybe legislation that yeah. could happen where some of these buildings can turn into 
some type of housing. Right. But then you, you have to think about the community members and whether or not they want that they type want. of housing in their area. That is correct. Because you certainly can't call it housing for criminals. You, right. it, it have to be, right. it would have to be something like affordable housing where people who are re-entry, I mean, they wouldn't go through the same process, process as everyone yeah. else to apply for that housing, right? So it would have to just be affordable housing where they could apply and mm-hmm. get it. And because there is a record, that will not impede them from getting the housing. Because right. once they find out, you just I mean, got out once of they do their time, they should just be... But, being clear. But then that's not always easy because you just mentioned something that is so true. Once an individual, and this is, we, on this podcast, one thing we try to do is talk about truth. When we find out that someone is back in our community from jail, <laughs> 99 times out of 10, they're not welcome with open arms. Right. We talk about them. We looking at them. We have a conversation about them. So not only do they have to put up with everything they got to deal with coming back into society, mm-hmm. but even people in your own home, your own family don't want to deal with you, your right. own community. Right. So there comes a there comes a lot with trying to transition back into society. And we're in a day and age where society says we don't want you back here. Mm-hmm. We don't want yeah. you back here. Even though we have communities and churches and all that, there is someone always saying, we don't want you here. Right. I mean, it's fear. It's fear yeah. because you don't, because when you, when, when a community says, okay, well, we'll take reentry people with open arms. Then the next question is, but, but, but what did you, you what, what did you mind telling me what you went in for and how long were you in there and what did you do? Because then there are certain individuals who they would want yeah, in their community. Sex, child sex for predators. It, they, exactly. Be the ones who find it hardest to reenter. Um, I'm okay. If they're guilty, I'm okay. Um, I know they probably deserve a better chance or a second chance, but us being humans, mm-hmm. this is how we think. Yeah. And if you have some children, some grandchildren, exactly. you're really fearful of that type of individual coming into your community. And I mean, I don't care what kind of fun loving Christian you say you are when it comes to that person living across from you, two doors down from you. There is always a fear element of course. embedded in that. Watch out for him. Exactly. Watch out for him. Exactly. And it's really unfair to that other individual, that individual entering into your community, because the first thing that happens in your community, who are we going to look at? Look well, at. you know, we do have a felony. We have a felon in this community. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that's the person who broke into your house. It's unfair on both sides. But what do we do? You know, we we can practice being tolerant. Right. We can practice being loving and kind and all of that. But the bottom line is if anything ever happens, that's who we're going to we're go to. Look at him. And really, you know, people, individuals coming into our community from parole or probation, they have so much supervision. You know, they have to check in with their officers. They have to check in with their offices. They have to make sure that they're working and they're um, doing all of these things as part of their plan, their their plan to get back into community. So there is a check-in process where people are keeping an eye on them. But is that enough? That's that, yeah for the community. And is that like enough for you? Much, yeah, right. for them to come back. And now the community is looking at me too. 
You can't get yes. you catch a break. Yes. I get it. I understand both ways. I want to add something into this. And again, this for me is a learnable moment because I fall guilty. Uh, I remember when I was president of my HOA, the next subdivision over from us, there was a young man who had been released from prison that was charged with a sex crime. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm guilty. I remember uh, several individuals having phone conversations about him. I remember, and and and, and to think about it now, it 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 kind of hurts me. I remember how they harassed his mother. I remember that. Mm, you don't play with nobody, mama. I remember how. Even, and you just mentioned something about good Christians. There were people who I would consider good Christians who knew this was going on and said nothing. Who made suggestions on getting this boy out the community. And to sit here and to hear you all say this, it makes me say to myself, you were a part of that. This was a young black man who got out of prison, who moved back with his mother, and not only one, multiple families harassed him. Adult families, too. Mm-hmm. Harassed him endlessly. That's her. Yeah, we're, we're intolerant. It goes back to where we're That's intolerant. That's going to be my word for the week, okay? Intolerant. And then you, you taught me another word today. In, in, inculcate. Inculcate, yeah. Yeah, we are um, inculcated. We are brought up, raised. We're, it's ingrained. We're, that's just how we are. But we're intolerant. We want to wear the Christian banner and we want to wear the Christian title but then there are things that will happen and we will like my older sister used to say I'm going to put my Christian crown on the side and I'm going to beat your <laughs> you know <laughs> but a lot of us will do that we will put that thing on the side and after we finish kicking ass we pick it back up and we carry on but so, it's 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 I I don't I I don't understand why it is that we do it. I'm I'm certainly guilty of it too. Um, I've only been working with um, clients who are part of the reentry community for the last seven years. But prior to working with this population, I'm guilty mm-hmm. of all charges. Right. I'm intolerant. We're human. We're human. I, you know, I would always, if I was going to move into a neighborhood, if I were, if I thought about moving into an area, I, I looked up by zip code what the crime rate, what the crime was in that area, because I wanted to make sure that I was not living next door to Chester the molester or you know, the, you know the killers of the. Ne- I, I did stuff like that, but. Having having people in my as part of my clientele who are part of reentry, um, they suffer from grief. They suffer from molestation themselves. They suffer from depression. They have 
suffered from poverty, abuse, so many things that, you know, when, when I sit across from one and they tell me about childhood abuse and they tell me about all of the egregious things that, that happened, happened to them, them when, they they were were, even when they were children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, makes, it makes me see the human side of them. And it makes me understand. I don't condone. I, I don't, I, I, I don't um, excuse the crimes in which they served time for. However, it helps me to understand the human who is sitting across from me, who I am now, yes, who I am now um, helping to navigate life after incarceration. It helps me with that Mm. because I'm guilty of that. Can we have one of your success stories on the show? On this show? Yes. Uh, I will use their name. I will certainly. um, Right. Yeah. I will certainly put that call out. I did when I was asked to come on to this show. I I told my I made an announcement and I said, I'm going on this podcast and I'm going to talk about mental health. And I had a lot of people raise their hand. I want to go with you, Dr. Hampus. I want to go. I don't know if I can bring one. I don't know. I'm going to have to check. (laughs) Um, I'm not using anybody's names or stories. But um, there are so many. So many success stories. But if somebody Um, can hear you talk about the person coming out and then the person, at least one of the people that you actually help, mm -hmm. might be better for the people who are not yet getting the help or people like yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I, like I told you earlier, I did 20 years as a sales rep, but this career, this career is why I think. I am put on this planet. Yeah. Your purpose. It's rewarding. This, this, yes. That's good. Yeah. We would like once again, thank Dr. Frida Hammonds for coming in today and sitting down with us. We do hope that you will come back because, again, you said something today that moved me. Mental health in our community is vital for our survival. We want to thank you again. You are listening to Entitled to Truth. I'm your co-host, Big T. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and all social media platforms. Thank you. And if Dr. Hammers can give us some ending words about mental health, ending words is all yours, Dr. Hammers. Mental health. Your mental health is your key to a better life, to a better connection. Um, It is your key to whatever it is that you think you want to do with the rest of your life. Just like you go and get your teeth clean, you go and get your physical checkup, you go and get your latte every morning at Starbucks. Check on your mental health. Mental health. Always consider taking care of your mental health. Because if you don't do it, no one else will. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Hammonds.